Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we're going to be covering the Bear Flag Revolt. I'm very excited for today's episode. It's a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a long time, in part because it's something from California history that lives on through that flag that sits on our state capitol with the bear. It's also uh, an icon that was instrumental in uh, the picture that I chose for this podcast. So it has a lot of symbolic importance, um, but the history of it is more complicated. I hope you enjoyed my interview last week with Brian DeLay. Uh, He was such a fascinating person to talk with. And later this week, I'll have another great interview from another amazing professor. Uh, We're going to talk about the conquests of California. But without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Remember, if you'd like to support us, you can do that through Patreon by making a financial contribution, or you could leave us um, a rating and a review. It actually really helps uh, other people find the podcast and click that play button for the first time. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Some of you may know the story of Romulus and Remus, the two purported founders of Rome. Uh, These were two children that were abandoned uh, after being birthed uh, by a god and a human, along a river, um, and nurtured by a she-wolf until a shepherd named Faustulus uh, found the boys and then took them in as his own children. Uh, When Remus and Romulus became adults, so the story goes, uh, they killed their great uncle um, and restored the world the way it should be. They also decided to establish a city uh, on a hill uh, that became Rome. This is the founding myth of Rome. It's a story that you may remember from your Western Civ class in college or even in high school in like a world literature class or something along those lines. It's obviously mythology, uh, meaning that the story isn't supposed to be literally true in our kind of post-enlightenment historical accuracy sense. Uh, But instead, the story is meant to tell us something about the world or that civilization. In this case, uh, the story that it seemed to tell is that... uh, Fratricide, or political rivalry and violence, is an inherent part of the history of Rome. Now, there are many myths about California. California carries that kind of promised land symbolism, at least by people who don't live here. For those of us who do live here, we are proud of where we live, but understand that there are many problems. Uh, And that this place that many dream of visiting is not perfect. The kind of ambivalence is how we will approach the bear flag revolt today. Now, the bear flag that we have that flies above our state capitol was instituted in 1911 by the then governor, Hiram Johnson. And here's what the statute that instituted the flag says, and I quote, The bear flag is hereby selected and adopted as the state flag of California. The said bear flag will consist of a flag of length equal to one and one half width thereof, The upper six-fifths of the lift thereof will be white, and the lower six of the width thereof will be a red stripe. There shall appear in the white, in the upper left corner, a single red star, and at the bottom of the white the words California Republic, and in the center of the white field a California grizzly bear, upon a grass plat, in the position of walking toward the left of the said flag. Said bear shall be dark brown in color and length, equal to one-third the length of said flag." And that is the origin of our flag. Now, in fact, there were other flags that were produced in California. 
Um, but they were all related to this original coup that uh, took place actually in 1836, even before the Bear Flag Revolt. Um, that flag from that 1836 revolt had a single star in the center of it. Now, this may or may not sound familiar to you, but if you visited Texas, you might see a flag that just looks like it right there as well. And in fact, uh, there have been a series of different designs of the flag. Some included the original single star with the bear placed off to the side. Additionally, the bear has sometimes been a black bear and not a grizzly bear, as is on the current flag. And in fact, the bear on our current California flag was actually modeled after an actual bear, uh, whose name is Monarch. Uh, Monarch was captured in 1889 uh, by a reporter working for William Randolph Hearst. Hearst gave the reporter, Alan Kinney, a blank check and told him to spend whatever he needed to capture this last remaining grizzly bear. Now, Alan actually didn't catch the bear by himself. He hired a team to help him. Uh, but they ended up finding this last grizzly bear in Ventura County. Uh, after they captured him, Monarch became one of the most famous bears in the world. He was put on displays in many uh, zoos all across California, but specifically in San Francisco. Um, after he died, the bear I'm talking about, uh, in 1911, he was stuffed and put on display at the Academy of Sciences. And that's the bear that lives on on our flag to today. But let's get back to the story of the flag itself. What I'm going to read to you is posted on our state's government website uh, that details descriptions of the various symbols and important things like flowers of California. It also has a small paragraph about the flag. And here's what it says, quote, on June 14th, 1846, a small band of settlers marched on the Mexican garrison at Sonoma and took command, uh, the commandant, uh, Mariano Vallejo, prisoner. They issued a proclamation which declared California to be a republic independent of Mexico. This uprising became known as the Bear Flag Revolt after the hastily designed flag depicting a grizzly bear and a five-pointed star over the red bar and the words, California Republic. The grizzly bear was a symbol of the great strength, while the Lone Star made reference to the Lone Star of Texas. The flag only flew until July 9, 1846, when it was learned that Mexico and the United States were already at war. Soon after, the bear flag was replaced with the American flag. It was adopted as the state flag by the state legislature in 1911, end quote. Now, you might be wondering right now why I've gone into all of this about the flag and the bear and the design, etc., I've gone into it because when we look at the history of foundings, we have to peel back layers upon layers of symbolism and myths to uncover what actually happened. I mean, you know, one only has to look at the founding of the United States and all the books, the movies, and the educational system uh, has layered so much about the mythology of our founding fathers. It can be hard to approach the events uh, with sober eyes to ask what really happened. But that task is an important one. Uh, because if we forget what actually happened, um, we lose sense of the real meaning behind historical events. Now let's look at the Bear Flag Revolt. I'm just going to go ahead and say here at the beginning uh, that in my mind this was not a revolt. I will make the case that a better term to use here is insurgency. Now, obviously, when I use the word insurgency, uh, one associates uh, that immediately with uh, our most recent war that is still in some ways ongoing, our war in Iraq. Um, that word was used commonly to describe some of the fighting that was going on within Iraq. 
One of my favorite comedians, Cat Williams, uh, has this bit about uh, the government using the word insurgents to describe uh, a group to make it more palatable when drone strikes or killings were announced. Now, obviously, uh, he used a lot more colorful image, and this is a family show after all, but his point remains. Um, generally, an insurgency involves two powers or states and then a group of people violently rebelling uh, against one of the governments involved. Revolt, when we use the word revolt, it paints a picture of a group of people legally stable in a nation or state uh, that are rebelling against perhaps a tyrannical government. It kind of has a positive connotation, but that is not the case here. Uh, what you have are people that entered Mexico, another sovereign state, and have engaged uh, in commercial activity and then used politically expedient circumstances to attempt to carve out land and declare independence. Now, this group is obviously not acting as a direct agent of the government, uh, but given the tensions that we've talked about from before and the ideology of manifest destiny, you can see that what we're, what we're talking about here. Another way to look at this, if you'd like, would be criminal activity, uh, the use of violence and kidnapping in another state. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's actually look at what happened. Uh, first, we have Charles Fremont. Charles Fremont is a very important character in this story, um, and we need to go back a little ways. After the recently elected President Polk um, announced his plans to annex Texas, he sent Fremont, uh, a topographical engineer, to survey the Great Basin of the West and the Salt Lake. But also, he secretly instructed Fremont that if war broke out with Mexico, that he should be ready to invade California. Now, there are different points of view in the historical record about how public Polk's views on California were, uh, but suffice it to say, the plan was laid out clearly enough that it led to the Bear Flag Revolt. There were a few attempts to foment uh, an uprising and incite violence. In fact, it wasn't just violence with uh, Mexicans or the Mexican government, because the Mexicans were not, only the, not the only people standing in the way of fulfilling Polk's manifest destiny fantasies. There was also a large indigenous presence. And this led to one of the most famous massacres in California history called the Sacramento River Massacre. Uh, while he was in California, Fremont uh, met with a group of Americans living in an area called the Lassen Ranch. The people living there said uh, that the native group uh, called the Wintu people uh, were planning to lead an attack on their ranch. Uh, Fremont had his men uh, armed to the teeth with pistols, rifles, and knives um, and planned an attack across the river soon after discovering of the plot. Now, there are different opinions about the scope of this slaughter. Uh, there are more conservative estimates that there uh, were only 100 people or 175 people slaughtered in the surprise attack. And then there were more liberal estimates that it could be upwards to 600 to 750. Either way, um, this gratuitous act of violence uh, is something that uh, is, you know, instrumental and speaks a lot to the character of Charles Fremont. This was not the only slaughter. There were more slaughters up and, uh, up and down the West Coast like this, so you can investigate the uh, Klamath Lake Massacre, for instance, if you're interested in learning more. Now, on, July, on June 14, 1846, uh, Fremont, uh, with another group of insurgents, like how I used that word right there, uh, descended on the Mexican settlement of Sonoma. We can hardly call this a town uh, it's, or a city, 
Um, settlement is maybe even a strong word. It perhaps is just an outpost. And for the record at this point in California, for context, there was maybe 500 Americans scattered throughout, mostly concentrated in the north, and then maybe eight to 12,000 Mexicans living uh, in Alta California. Uh, currently, there are more people waiting in line in San Francisco to get brunch than there are there were people back then uh, living in Alta California. Spurred on by the annexation of Texas, these insurgents quickly invaded the Sonoma outpost and, and forced the General Vallejo there to surrender. Now, General Vallejo saw this coming and was waiting with a bottle of brandy to receive his invaders. Now, the reason there wasn't much of a resistance here was in part due to the way that Mexico viewed Alta California as the frontier. Uh, Californios, the people living in Alta California that were from Mexico, were not planning to put up much of a fight to protect what was essentially just frontier territory, in spite of the fact that it was part of their sovereign nation. The Americans quickly put up a flag and elected or appointed a leader. They continued their fights and skirmishes with Mexican forces along this region, including in San Francisco, where brunch was not yet being served. But the experiment in insurgency didn't last long because Commodore John Sloat, commander of U.S. Navy's Pacific Fleet, arrived in Monterey Bay and declared that California was now a part of the United States, um, basically belligerently annexing it, uh, with Californios uh, formally ceding the territory to the U.S. in the following year. You can see why I started with the flag. I want to approach these symbols for what they are, as symbols standing in for history. And the truth is that this flag represents the founding of a state uh, that is based on a violent insurgency by a group of commercial interests and a bellicose ruthless leader in Fremont. That's what it is. Therefore, we return to the same question that we had in previous episodes about the mission system, Junipero Serra, and the many other characters and events in our history that we glorify. And we discover that uh, the history is more complicated than we want to admit. The ultimate question is, how do we deal with a flag of a bear taken out of his natural habitat to be put on show at a zoo and of a violent group of rebels that disrespected our neighbor's sovereignty to the South? Obviously, I'm not suggesting that we need to erase history. But one thing that I do know for sure is I don't want my state's flag to glorify the same people that waded across a river to an encampment of people they had never met before, including many women and children, and slaughtered them in cold blood because they were in the way. Maybe it's time we talk about our flag. Until next time.